This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is contacttalkradio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on tunein.com, ying.fm, and upsnap mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of purple dry. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I just want to, once again, before I formally introduce and welcome my guest of this week, I just want to say a quick shout-out and thank you to all my corporate sponsors, which is inclusive of Halton Honda, Forever, and AHA That. I also want to thank my guests of each week, uh, who are always bringing quality content to the listeners and the podcast subscribers. I want to thank you for being one of over half a million podcast subscribers to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. And I also want to thank my friends and family over at C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, following the live show, you can eventually find the podcast link over on my host page, also Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald with the C-Suite Radio Network. So who is my guest today? Well, I am very honored, very privileged to say that my guest today is a phenomenal gentleman by the name of Joseph Snyder. Also joined in conjunction is Chris Brown. So who is Joseph Snyder? Well, what I can tell you is he is a serial entrepreneur for over 15 years. Joe is the CEO of the publicly traded revolutionary blockchain company Lannister Holdings. Lannister Holdings is working to generate scaled revenues and growth by developing, owning, and delivering proprietary technology to the financial sector. Joe is a natural leader with the skills to inspire world-class staff, the positive work ethic to overcome even the biggest challenges, and the ability to grow and brand within highly competitive and regulated spaces. Wow. So I want to welcome you to the show, Joe. We've been planning this for quite some time, and I'm really glad that the day is now upon us. How are you, my friend? Thank you so much for having us. I, I appreciate it, and it sounds like somebody that likes me wrote that. Um. <laughs> You're hilarious. Well, I hope uh, you like yourself, too, because you got to be your number one fan in this industry. You know that as well uh, as I do. That is, that is the truth. That is the truth. And I'm and I'm Chris Brown's number one friend uh, fan. You know, Chris is our chief technology officer. I brought him on today. Um, and uh, with me, we do a lot of these together. And uh, so, uh, Chris, say hello as well. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hello, Great Chris. Great to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you as well. Any friend of Joe's is a friend of mine, let me tell you. So, 
taking the conversation forward, of course, everybody who follows me, and again, I'm very grateful for the loyal listenership. People know that my approach to all of this, it's very unscripted. I think it makes for a much more organic and authentic discussion. And so what I'm going to say is, although people know I've historically over the four years of doing this, I've interviewed many, many entrepreneurs, many TED talkers, many authors, many speakers, the list goes on. But who I have never had the privilege and the honor of interviewing is somebody who's in the blockchain uh, cryptocurrency field industry. So this is going to be quite a learning curve for me. And I'm really I've got notes. I'm taking notes here as we speak today, Chris and Joseph. Um, so I really would appreciate if we could start at the beginning in terms of the inception of your journey. That's the one question that I generally do start with that is standard across the board because it's important for the listeners to get a feel for who you are uh, how what you're currently doing right now and what we're going to be highlighting and showcasing throughout the course of this hour, how this came to be for you. Sure. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm Joseph Snyder. I'm the CEO of Lamster Holdings and Lamster Development. And we are, uh, you know, Chris and myself and Cynthia Tanana, specifically with the, the vision and the mission to bring um, Web 3.0 technologies specifically um, and uh, cloud native work to to is how we believe these technologies are the future of how transactions are going to be operating, and that mm-hmm. we believe that these technologies are the core underlying structure of 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 you know commerce and and enterprise and P two P and B two B transactions. Um, we decided to be a publicly traded company in the U.S. specifically because um, we saw a real blue ocean space. We saw a real opportunity to have um, our expertise and our experience both in the technology world, the traditional business world, risk management, real estate investment, finance, um, how we saw that those things kind of merge together to create a real opportunity in the fintech and insurtech sectors and the enterprise business sectors for deploying technologies, deploying test cases uh, into the real world and, and scaling with the adoption and integration of these technologies throughout throughout the world. So we took Lannister public in March of this year, and um, we did what's called a reverse merger. We acquired a company that was already publicly traded. We merged it. So we're currently traded under the ticker symbol NBDR, Nancy Bravo Delta Robert, uh, in the United States. And this journey is one about ideology. It's about technology, and it's about disruption. You know, our our ideology is that distributed – operations, decentralized operations, and these technologies around distributed ledgers and consensus algorithms and um, and these tools are a better way to operate. And so we went to market as a completely remote work company. While we do have office addresses both in Nevada and in Arizona, um, we, we don't actually have an office anywhere in the world. We're a completely decentralized operation, and our, and our team is completely remote work. Um, that ideology supports our mission to run a lean and fiscally conservative organization that delivers and deploys world-class technologies to startups and enterprise businesses around the world. Wow. Impressive. So for those who are tuning in, and this is maybe a little bit over their head, you know, I'm giving you permission as the host of this show. Feel free to talk to me like I'm six with this. (laughs) 
So, because I really want to make this understandable. I want the language to compute to people who, you know, regardless of what uh, path they are on or whatever it is they do for vocation, that they're understanding the translation of what it is you're talking about, um, because that's a win-win for everybody involved here. So, who would be the ideal client? What kind of people are coming to you and why would they be coming to you and what is it that they're looking to do as a result of acquiring your services? What's the end goal for them and what is the sector of business specifically that would be integrated into what it is they're doing? Um, so that's a few that's a few different questions. I'll say this. First of all, you know, our our ideal client is somebody with with experience in an industry that sees how um, or believes that distributed ledgers, consensus algorithms, IoT, 5G tools and systems could disrupt their industry that they know about. Um, mm-hmm. Those industries that we're really focused on are fintech, um, that's banking, finance, P2P, uh, securitization, packaging things like that, insure tech, insurance contracts, claims, um, you know, all of the, the insurance-related aspects of, of how uh, contracts get executed and, and transactions get processed. Um, logistics, logistics is a huge, um, you know, impact point for blockchain technology and distributed ledgers. Um, and, you know, government functions, taxation, there's all kinds of Kinds of things along those. So our, our our ideal customer is is somebody who has a deep experience in structure in an existing industry and is looking at these technologies and saying, I think this does it better. I think this does it with more transparency. I think this does it with more risk. Uh, I want to find out more. And then our teams are there in a consultative fashion to um, assist those clients with identifying the use cases, identifying the impact points, building out uh, product MVPs, minimum viable products, beta tests, things like that, and really bringing that idea from I think it does this through to a a working usable model. Um, And then our teams are, are absolutely built and designed to scale past that and build out full platforms and integrations and things like that. Um, I think a question that your listeners might be very interested in that Chris is, Chris is keenly uh, experienced to answer or, or mm-hmm. uniquely experienced to answer is uh, the, the what is blockchain part, right? Because that part of it is what gets confused with, wait, is blockchain Bitcoin? You know, what, what is this thing? And that understanding of how these tools work and what they might impact, I think is really the true starting point. So with, with, with that, Chris, do you want to tell them a little bit about what is blockchain? Sure. You know, at the, at the beginning of that question, you said um, really coming into this and you put together blockchain and cryptocurrency. And that's, you know, that's, that's a major messaging point, right? That's what most people see in, in the news cycles and everything else. When people talk about, Blockchain, you see a lot of uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or one of the other 600 million coins that have been launched. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a reason for that, right? There's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of movement and there's a lot of value and then value loss inside these cryptocurrencies. But that's not really the technology that I mean, it, it is the technology that we're talking about, right? It's the basis of the technology we're talking about. But that's not the systems themselves that we're actually discussing when we're saying let's develop blockchain technologies for, say, a supply organization or mm-hmm. a system of banks to know, you know, to share credit information between their clients or something like that. Um, the blockchain technology behind all of that, behind these coins, behind these cryptocurrencies, is actually essentially a distributed immutable ledger, right? So a ledger is just the way that we keep track of transactions or we keep track of inventory or, or value in some way, right? We say this person owns this 
and then they're able to transact it. And now this other person owns that same thing. So that's that's what a ledger does. And the reason it's immutable is because every block in the blockchain is a a record of transactions. It's a record. Sorry, don't know if you lost me there for a second. It's a record of the transactions. It's a record of what has occurred. And every link, every link in that chain, everything that makes it a blockchain is a link to the previous block saying that this is the hash of the previous block. This is the information. This is a fingerprint of the information in the previous block. This next block is only valid if the chain piece linking it to the previous block is still valid, which means you quickly know whether or not uh, any any transaction that you want to make is valid and, and honest and true. Now, when we distribute that, right, when we take away a central authority from being able to say what is honest and true, and we create these things called consensus algorithms, right, mm-hmm. ways to find consensus among a large group of people who are not necessarily con- connected with each other except for their connection to this blockchain. When we do that, we create what's called a trust list system, right? So we no longer need to trust the person that is saying that, that the next block is correct. We need to trust that they have a, a an interest in doing it correctly, right? That they're not nefarious, and we can do that through various means, ensuring that nobody owns too much of, this, of the chain itself, if it's a public chain, or just knowing who the players are, if it's a private chain. Um, and that allows you to really move away from a centralized system of saying, okay, well, this bank owns all these records or this county owns all the property records for this area and simply say, here's a, here's a ledger that all of us can, can agree upon that says, here's who owns all these pieces. And those people are then allowed to transact those pieces on a peer to peer sort of, of scheme. Now, what is the power of that, right? Why why do we want to transact on peer-to-peer? Well, you want to do that because it's fast, because it's simple, because it's secure, right? You, you're transacting it with one person. You're not worrying about the middleman. You're reducing costs. You're reducing risk because every time you're using a middleman, say every time a bank sells a mortgage, right, there's a, there's a whole middleman process of a bank selling your mortgage to another bank. In that process, a lot of things go wrong, right? Just somebody mm-hmm. types your name incorrectly when they move that contract over. And suddenly you have a giant headache when you try to sell your house. So things like that, I mean, I mean these, are, these are somewhat simplistic examples, but the idea is we'll be able to transact quickly and efficiently on what are called smart contracts, right? Because if we're running inside this trustless system, we can build contracts inside this system, right? And using a thing that's called a virtual machine. Essentially, we run a machine inside the blockchain itself. This machine allows us to execute code. And when we execute that code, that code can do anything we want, right? Within limits, we need to set security limits on what we can do. But when you have all of these pieces together, right? And that's a whole bunch of disparate things that I just brought together in, in sort of a, a five minute synopsis. But when you bring all these things together, you now have an immutable ledger that we can trust the history of. You have a distributed ledger that we can, we can have a trustless consensus among multiple parties, whether you want that to be private or public is up to you. Uh, you have and then you have this ability to run smart contracts, which means that now we can integrate with anything, right? So we can integrate with, say, uh, the shipping, the shipping area of, or the receiving area at the port of Los Angeles. And you can say, yes, this container just arrived here. So now that's Internet of Things and that's communicating with the blockchain. That said, this just arrived. 
And when that arrives, we can then launch a smart contract that is ready, waiting and, and reading for that event to have occurred. And that can release payment to the supplier, right? So you've just gone from 30 to 60 day payment windows to instantaneous among, uh, on, on delivery, right? So there's a lot of efficiencies. There's a lot of, of ways to reduce risk and increase efficiency and really move away from centralized authorities, really start to cut down on middlemen, which again gives you cost, cost, uh, you know, cost efficiencies. Um, so there's a lot of technologies here and there's a lot to these technologies, but they're not overly, they're not overly complex to understand as a basis of, you know, what is this thing and why does it work and, and mm-hmm. why do we think it's going to be disruptive, right? Why do we think that all these large companies are going to be going towards blockchain? Well, I don't necessarily need to think that because a lot of big companies are already going towards, right? There's a lot of new research going on through just about any, any large company, any banking company, any supply company, any, you know, you can Google any of their names plus the word blockchain. You'll probably find that they have a project going on in this space. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot to be gained in the next couple of years in starting to implement these technologies. And it's a really exciting space, right? This is a new type of technology. This is really moving away from, well, I'm going to launch a database and then I'm going to update this database and, you know, I'm going to have very secured, identified permissions about who can do what to my database for a very good reason, right? You can't just let mm-hmm. random people update your database and bad things are going to occur. Um, but when you move away from that, and that's a, it's a hard conceptual move, especially for, you know, software architects and things and database architects and those kind of people. But as you move away from those, you get to a system where now instead of saying, you know, I have this record of all these people and that other bank has all these records and that county has all these records, suddenly all this data congeals together around, you know, a cent- I hate to say, but a centralized, decentralized system. And now we can all access that. Now we can all understand what's happening. Now we can all update it and make transactions. Um, there's a lot of power there. And it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting space for me particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's there's a few things I'm going to say to this that simultaneously came to me. Uh, so I'm putting this out to both you, Chris, and as well to Joseph. Uh, so, you know, whoever wants to chime in, jump in and, and answer in sequence, uh, feel free to decide amongst yourselves who would be best equipped to do so. So, you know, I'm relatively new to this myself. I'd say it was approximately two years ago I embarked upon YoCoin, and I did it primarily as uh, an investor. Um, so I'm just looking at growing my portfolio, um, you know, with it being looked upon as stocks and it's an investment. So I'm not looking to do anything with the YoCoin specifically in terms of an exchange of business or doing it because of a contractual basis or a job or looking to buy a product or um, anything of that nature. So I know a lot of people are embarking upon this for their own different unique reasons. But if we're looking at it from like, uh, you know, exchanged currency, whether it be from one corporation to another corporation, you know, what is the percentage within the business world, whether it be a sole entrepreneur, uh, whether it be a big corporate industry, um, how many people percentage wise globally to the degree that you're able to guesstimate or maybe you have a a definitive number. But, you know, knowing that people who are in the business world, knowing that people who are entrepreneur, you know, you are ahead of the curve, you are playing a bigger game, you're trying to stay ahead of things, uh, not playing catch up. So in terms of the business world, how many uh, 
what's the percentage of people who can understand the knowledge, understand the benefits, understand the efficiencies where they've said, okay, this is how we're changing our business model. This is how we're doing business going forward. You know, and I'm sure this is growing exponentially. You know, it could be every minute. I think it's very small, right? You know, the, that's, that's where companies like ours come in, right? From, Mm -hmm. from a, from a consultative fashion, you know, look, there's, there's large groups of people at Chase and Maersk and IBM and, and every university across the country that, that are, that are, you know, the U.S. federal government just funded an $800,000 grant, I believe, in, in, to a university in Southern California to, to look at putting together a science-based blockchain that, that allows researchers to share information, um, you know, in an, on an open source blockchain. So, you know, there's, there's a number of, of people and, uh, researchers and developers and things that are, that are actively deploying these things. Coming from the other side and saying how many people within existing industries truly understand what's about to happen, I would say it's very, very small. And that's where companies like Lannister Development come in, and we can consult with these companies and sit down with them and look at their existing architecture, right? Our background is in is in you know, non-blockchain architecture, you know, cloud integration, uh, cloud native app deployment, critical infrastructure, um, you know, all of these things as well as traditional business. And so we have a very unique viewpoint and a very unique experience set that allows us to see how traditional business is set up, how traditional data is stored and transferred and secured, and also allows us to understand what you know, the next iteration of these things is beginning to look like and how these things are beginning to disrupt things. So, you know, for companies and organizations that are that want to be Netflix instead of Blockbuster, <laughs> if you will, yes. yeah. uh, you know, the, those are the companies that we want to call us. And and we'll have those consultations and, you know, we'll we'll put the teams of analysts and and uh, and and people together to help them understand how these things fit in their organization, help them understand where the initial steps can be to test smaller use cases, right? You don't have to change your whole infrastructure. You're not going from internal IT over to cloud on something like this. You know, we can we can build out and test and deploy very limited, um, you know, cost and also limited impact tests to prove these technologies within an organizational structure. And those folks that are at the leading edge, you know, we, we consider ourselves serving the folks in enterprise and in government who do want to be at the leading edge who don't want to take unnecessary risks or deploy ridiculous, you know, funds around projects. You know, nobody wants to come out of a, of an IT test project feeling feeling silly, right? We all want to come out with some data, with some proof, and with something that's scalable moving forward. And so that's where a company like ours comes in and helps those executives. We help those administrators understand how these tools do work, how they integrate with existing infrastructure, how they p- replace potential, you know, potentially replace pieces of existing infrastructure, and also what what it's going to take from a from a cost and a risk and a deployment and a and a and a disruption standpoint to get some tests in, implemented, to get some things spooled up and uh, and to prove those out so that they can lead the herd and they can be at the cutting edge in their industry. Okay, fantastic. So a couple of other things came to me again there, Joseph, as you were talking. So, you know, I find analogies and metaphors really work in terms of illustrating points. So, um, you know, what came to me as I was listening to you speak was, 
In terms of the criteria for anybody who wants to be taken serious, who's, you know, at this level of embarking upon doing business a different way, you know, what does the criteria come down to? Does it come down to, okay, what's within your budget? Does it come down to, like, if you're talking about paralleling it with, say, again, using analogies and metaphors as an example to illustrate the point, if it's like a high-end poker game, right? So if you're sitting at the at the big table with the, the big people, you know, you have to have a minimum of like, say, $25,000 a hand to go in. Um, so would people who would qualify as ideal clients for you, are they working with a minimum type of budget to be taken seriously? I mean, yes. You know, if if you've got 50 bucks in an idea, there's not a whole lot of traffic. There's not a whole lot of runway, um, you know, there to, to be of service. Right. But at the same time, you know, we we do, you know, our our mission is to help people get where they need to go and to solve the problems that they're trying to solve. If those problems are valuable, if the problems that we're solving are are impactful to a business, if they reduce risk, if they reduce cost, if they if they make things simpler and cleaner and more transparent and easier, then they're inherently valuable to the organization. Right. So I would say that that definitely an organization needs to have an understanding that they're prepared to make an investment in technology and in the exploration of these things. Right. We can't work for free. We don't expect you to work for free. Right. Of course. But at the same time, we work with everybody from ideation based startups um, all the way up to, you know, the largest, uh, you know, corporations and 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 governments um, in, in the world. So, you know, there, there's not you know, we're not a poker table where if you're below this line, we don't want to take your call. But there does need to be an understanding that, you know, an investment in technology, especially an investment in future technology, is not necessarily a cheap endeavor um of course the, not. the question the question is is what is the value right if you're yes if if you're looking at um you know a real you know real estate investment um you know syndicated real estate investment or or buying and selling mortgages on the back end and you're a, you're a mortgage broker and you can save one or two points over the life of an investment vehicle you know the value there is is huge you're talking about millions and millions of dollars in in value the same can be had in medical applications and in insurance applications and so what we really look to identify is what is the client trying to achieve? What is the value of what they're trying to impact, either from a startup perspective of what is this worth when it's operating and what is the what is the current um, status of it? You know, do they have a strategic plan. Do they have a funding round? You know, where are they in their process? And then that determines where they will be. Um, consulted with from our organization standpoint, right? So it's not an open or closed door. It's more of a question of where are you in your cycle of moving down this road? And then which one of our, you know, which one of our consultative teams, which one of our levels of, act, uh, of, of assistance would be right for where you're at at this time? Okay, and so here's another question for you, Joseph. So, you know, again, I'm kind of a novice at this. Um, so I'm asking questions that I, knowing my demographic, knowing the, my audience, I'm probably speaking for them as well. They could probably attest to this being their level of curiosity too. So, you know, is this kind of, you know, if, if we're going to do a snapshot of, of simplifying the understanding of this, is, is this like a one-stop shop or is this like an ongoing sustainability? So it's not like you put, 
and I'm just playing with numbers. I'm not saying at all that this is ballpark for what the, the rate of exchange would be or, or for what the, the fee for service would be necessarily. But if we're working with like, say a million bucks or $50,000. So is it like, you know, you meet with the, the other party, you decide, you come to consensus. Okay. We want to move forward with this. I think this is a good collaboration, a good partnership. Here's the, the dollar amount, $50,000. Does that give you like, an infrastructure of product where the client or consumer totally, hire- totally depends. And and unfortunately, I don't have as definitive an answer as I think that you're looking for. But the reality is, is that every product, uh, every project, every application, whether it's cloud native development work, whether it's, uh, just, you know, DApp work, whether it's, you know, blockchain work, um, whether it's just consultation for ideation, um, you know, or, 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 you know, integrations work, any one of these is going to be scoped by our team and we're going to work with the client to identify their needs, to identify the impact and the demand and, and honestly the, the amount of hours that they need to absorb from the different parts of our team in order mm-hmm. to achieve their goals. Okay. And that work stems everywhere from, you know, low, you know, low few thousands of dollars uh, for a, for consultation um, all the way through to, you know, it can scale all the way up to entire long term platform development that runs, you know, into high seven figures. Right. 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 It really depends on the project. It really depends on the client. But all of those things get scoped out throughout that process. All of those things get really identified based on the specific project because there's such a variety of things that we get to play with. And that's one of the great appeals of this industry for us, not just blockchain, but but all of the Web 3.0 type work, you know, all of the IoT stuff and the the cloud native and all of these things that go together is we get to play with a lot of really interesting use cases. We get to – with some of the most brilliant people on the planet, we get to look at you know unique challenges across multiple verticals, and that keeps our teams active. That keeps us uh, active. You know, we're curious people by nature, and mm-hmm. you know, curiosity um, is all about digging in and finding solutions and finding answers and learning new things. And so, we really enjoy that part of it. Beautiful. Now, from a consumer client standpoint, so once they start doing business with you what is the trackability in terms of like what is what is the measurement of growth or the barometer to indicate that things are becoming more efficient and you know what is the timeline for that for people to start seeing the rate of return or the immediate results or are the results even in fact immediate like i'm just trying to get a sense of what this depends. looks like it just depends on what on what they're on what they're trying to achieve and what their goals are again it's it's just too broad to, yeah, to, to specify I get it. But okay. I mean, you know. there's there's something to be said there as well because every client that we work with and that we're currently working with, we always establish uh, metrics, right? We say, okay, here's what you're currently doing. Here are the things that you want to improve with this system, and here is how we are going to measure those things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not broad and generic in oh well, you know, it's very broad based on the project, but it's very broad based on the client's actual needs, right? I mean, do you need more efficiency in time? Like do you, does changing that payment window from 30 to 30 to 60 days down to two days or one day or instant, is that really the bottleneck that your business needs to conquer? Or do you need, you know, um, faster transfer of information between you and your partners? Or do you need a more transparent ledger because, 
you know, your clients need to be able to actually see where they are in the process of whatever it is your business do, does. Sorry. So every, every operation, every business that while there's, you know, similar metrics, everybody wants to make more money essentially. Um, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a lot of metrics on the technical side that we can build into these things and say, look, here is what happened. You, you know, you went from, you went from this many sessions per day to this many sessions per day using this new platform and they were this much faster or this much cheaper or, you know, this much X, right? So the metrics themselves are, are very definable and very measurable. It just depends on what are your metrics? What is the thing that you are looking to improve and how can we help you improve it? Lovely. And given how diversified your business model is, would your, would your business even be compatible with say, my industry. So podcasting, you know, people who are trying to track stats and whatnot through iHeartRadio, Spotify, um, you know, paid advertising, corporate sponsorship, you know, is there a fit there? I, I'm just speaking hypothetically because I want to know for the general audience, the people who are listening here, you know, do we talk about the corporate end and, and the medical field and things of that nature, but taking it down to other industries such as my industry, is there even a place for there to be a business partner? Partnership with us. Well, I, I I wouldn't say no. I mean, the example that I would give in the the media and ads industry specifically, and this is a conversation that we had recently with some media association groups who've asked Chris and I to come in and and give a presentation to their to their board of directors about how blockchain disrupts uh, media royalty payments. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, one of the products that we're working on at Lannister Development right now is actually an educational product where we're we're finishing out the details on an education product to actually come into boards like this and and and, and groups of C-suites and be able to give them a half a day drill down on how these systems and tools disrupt their particular industry, et cetera, et cetera. But that that example is a good one. Right. When when you buy a game on the PlayStation network, there's an entire series of royalty payments and things that have to be uh, reconciled throughout a very complex eco payments ecosystem from the game developers and the artists and the music and all of the pieces that go into this all from a single payment on a PlayStation console in Arkansas. Right. Mm-hmm. And that $69 has to be received by Sony. It's got to be processed through their network. And then it's got to be piecemealed out through all of these disparate pieces of this of this uh, supply chain and this royalty chain. And so in the advertising system, in the media systems, great potential to directly impact the cost of doing business, the cost of and the which artists and um, and and uh, rights owners can receive payments and and also not just the speed but the accuracy of those payments as well. So there is a great amount of disruption for all of these industries across so many tiny facets and so many you know what 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 look like kind of esoteric impact points and yet these esoteric impact points handle billions of dollars of transactions a year across a global scale and 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 so many moving parties that blockchain can can dramatically impact these things uh over the over the next couple of years 
Fantastic. Well, as you were speaking there, Joseph, it even crossed my mind, too, that there would be a good fit for what it is you do when we're talking about royalties with book publishing companies. You know, when you're talking about royalties there between the author and the publishing company, and then when you're talking about third party people who are involved in foreign rights, you know, people who from China want your book and they are the only ones within China who can uh, reproduce it in Mandarin. I mean, I had this conversation with my publishing company yesterday. I mean, really, sky's beyond the limit for you guys with what you can do. Yeah, and we're happy to have those meetings. You know, again, our you know our direct um, direct to market vertical for for product is an acquisition and a deployment strategy around uh, you know SaaS products and, and fintech specifically in mm-hmm. you know syn- in in deploying syndicated real estate finance and special investment vehicles. So those are the things that we're working on in house that we believe we're bringing to market for a market that we understand we know very well. But you know, Lannister Development as the client facing division of Lannister Holdings and and our public traded company is it, it is it's it's a grand adventure for us to be able to play with all of these different verticals and engage with people across the spectrum from artists and, and musicians to finance and insurance and you know government applications and and all of these things it, it really is a telecom and you know it just goes mm-hmm. on and on and on it's 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 it really is fun Beautiful. Well, I don't want to let the opportunity slide. There's some there's a new update. There's some great news that, uh, you know, has been bestowed upon you. And I would love for you to kindly graciously share that with the listening audience. I'm super impressed and super proud. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I was last uh, last week. I was named as one of 2018's top entrepreneurs and visionaries by Entrepreneur Magazine. So that was a phenomenal honor. And I was, you know, just really, really grateful to be included. And, and all of the credit, I think, for that goes to our incredible team of, of people who work tirelessly to make all of our all of our messaging and our mission and our, our strategies and our branding really happen. And um, and then all of the support that that our teams do to manage our sales processes and and engage with our prospects. And, you know, it, it really takes a village. It really does. And then also a few days after Entrepreneur did that, um, they, they asked Chris to contribute to an article about blockchain and the use cases and things like that. So Chris is now a, a published uh contributor to entrepreneur magazine as well so it's a amazing pretty good week absolutely well amazing congratulations to you both i hope you're able to carve out some time between your hectic schedules to celebrate no not at all (laughs) not not even close (laughs) of course not silly 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 um so given that you're both visionaries and and given that you know you're committed to fierce and momentous growth for yourself uh you know as entrepreneurs as a business um, in terms of interfacing with as many people as possible and getting the message out there, which you're clearly doing based on all these wards and accolades. And uh, so kudos to you guys. But, you know, in terms of being what you need to be for the people who have partnered up with you as clients, how are you able to then pinpoint within your team, within your organization, where you see yourself? Like, are you, are you, do you plan a year out? Do you plan five years out? Is that too long because things are moving so rapidly and you've got to do it like month by month, quarter by quarter? Like how how are you guys able to even catch up with yourselves? Well, there's a difference between strategic business planning and uh, customer fulfillment operations. Um, True. 
you know, the strategic business planning is something that Chris and myself and Cynthia and, and our executive team and our advisory board take very seriously. And we're looking at, uh, you know, how how we refine those messaging points, how we clarify our vision and our mission, because it is a larger vision. You know, we see ourselves as a scalable uh, intellectual property ownership company, an acquisitions company, and uh, and a company that's delivering products as well as services. And so that's a that's a that's a little bit larger viewpoint. You know, our experience um, in mergers and acquisitions, our experience in real world business scaling and operations, uh, as well as our experience in delivering technologies at a at a truly global enterprise scale gives us the ability to see that strategic plan on a five-year window and we've got some really clear goals and metrics that we're that we're working towards and, and and aiming to hit on the customer delivery side it's a little bit different and i'll let chris you know kind of talk about that a little bit but you know um between chris and and our chief development officer jonathan parnell you know we have a lot of systems and a lot of framework built into how we do continuous development, how we do continuous delivery, how we do continuous uh, integration. And, um, you know, we, we have um, our system set up on the GIST framework and we are an agile company and we, you know, we use all of these tools and these technologies to run a, a really um, large scale world-class development operation that allows us to deliver product to our customers that fulfills their needs and deliver that on, on time and, and on budget. With, with that, Chris, do you have anything to say about the, the, client delivery process there? Uh, no, like Joe said, you know, I mean, well, yes, essentially. Like Joe said, you know, it's very, it's it's quite separate from the actual business operations and the strategy of, you know, where where do we envision Lannister being in five years? That's very different from, you know, how do we deliver this product that this client needs right now? And and the difference between the two is one that one's very much an executive and advisory board level planning event, where the other one is a is a fairly well known process, right? How do you deliver software to a client? Um, based on their needs. And the way you do that, the way we do that specifically as a completely remote work team is that we use a lot of tools and we maintain open lines of communication. We ensure that every customer is being openly communicated with. We ensure that we are communicating first, if at all possible. Um, and to do that, you need you need really good people, right? You need good customer success managers. You need people who are on the ball and on the front lines who know what needs to get done, know what the project metrics are, and are ready to be there and, and perform on those on those deliverables. And um, doing that is all about building a team of very good people, world-class, you know, highly intelligent, passionate people who love what they're doing, and letting them do it, you know, putting them putting them in front of customers who they like and mm-hmm. uh, and letting the process happen. And of course, mapping that process and fixing that process, right? There's a lot of revision. There's a lot of this isn't just like here's set in stone. Here's exactly how we're going to work it. No, it's an it's an ongoing process. It always is, right? We're working with new technologies, so mm-hmm. building these things. It's a it's again for me. This is all super interesting. For a lot of people, they just zone out because you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's basically just setting up processes, systems, getting it all running together, getting it all running smoothly, finding your catch points, finding your failure points and fixing them, and then moving forward. Super. 
Now, in terms of your own marketing package and, and deliver, uh, deliverables in terms of how people can access you, and I'm going to give you an opportunity here, of course, uh, throughout the show um, to let it be known how people can meet with you, contact you, reach you. But do you have like an app? Are you doing stuff? Are you uploading your information packages, making use of the space of all the different various platforms in terms of getting your message out to the masses, to the collective? Like, are you using YouTube? Are you using? Yeah. So we, we have a, we have a very active social media engagement. Uh, We have very active content development and deployment strategy around articles and blogs and things. Um, You know, LannisterDevelopment.com is our portal for, you know, clients to go in and actually request a consultation and, and, you know, view our process and, and check out, you know, some of the things that, we're doing so that's lannisterdevelopment.com on twitter it's it's at lannister dev or uh, i'm on twitter at lannister ceo you know the companies are obviously on linkedin but you know a lot of the a lot of the the work that we do and a lot of the engagement that we do is is with folks who already have an idea that they think works with blockchain or distributed ledgers or iot and they're coming in and saying you know does this work the way that i think it works and and then can we scope it and can we map it out and can we understand what it's going to what kind of investments it's going to take for us to get to uh to a deployment okay now we also know that a lot of business generated it comes from word of mouth very satisfied um very happy clients so uh in the timing that you've rolled out this business model um for what it is that you do and the people that you've interfaced and people who are now currently on your caseload and knowing that, you know, that varies across the board from client to client based on their individual needs. Um, you know, could you maybe share with myself and the listening audience and the podcast subscribers, Chris and or Joseph, um, you know, what are what's some of the feedback that you're receiving? What, what, what has changed within people's business models what has lessened the load within the company what progression how have they scaled how have they leveraged what are some of the bullseyes what are some of the you know you know know what we've seen probably what we've seen the most as far as you know really the network effect which is very powerful for a company like ours and again you know we we believe that we're still a little bit early to enterprise blockchain and true iot security and identity security and you know 5g is just getting rolled up and these things web together in a very, very interesting way, we believe, to, to, to create Web 3.0, which is our true, you know, focus of, of how we see the future of information and systems interacting. So with that, what, what we're seeing, the network effect is very, very powerful. A, you know, we all have our own networks of, of people and influence and experience, you know, across our team and our executive team. But also we've put together a really incredible and dynamic and, and impactful advisory board. And, and that's been something that has just added great value to our company. Um, it's added a lot of network effect and inbound lead generation and opened a lot of doors to um, beginning to discuss, you know, the next steps of ideation and implementation and, and test deployment for so many different verticals. And that's a really powerful thing for any business, you know, for us as a publicly traded company, the media cycle that we do with people like yourself and on shows like this and, and right, we're, we're evangelizing, evangelizing these technologies. You know, we're out mm-hmm. in the space and saying, look, this is crypto, 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 in our opinion. Crypto is a use case on these tools and these technologies um, that we believe these tools and technologies are the core operating system that gets moved forward as, as the world progresses as data security and data transactions and things like that progress. And so, 
we're out here evangelizing this in the media, and we're also working very, very hard with um, all of our existing networks, uh, previous clients from all around our network, um, all around our executives network, as well as all of the uh, inbound lead generation that we do with with uh, within around our advisory board to uh, to handle all of that. So it's it stays busy for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm getting tired just listening to you. (laughs) And I I thought I was busy. My goodness. Um, You know, so when, you know, one of the first things that crops to people's mind, uh, you know, and I'd really like to hear your thoughts on this turn uh, to Joseph in terms of allaying people's fears or answering specific questions here. But, you know, when we're talking about anything to do with technologies, everyone's concerned about cybercrime. People are talking, you know, concerned about hacking because we know it happens to financial institutions. We know that it's happened to medical records with hospitals uh, and institutions. You know, we also, and I don't, I always prefer to err on the side of positivity. I'm an eternal optimist, but we also know for people who do the research and the R&D pertaining to cybercrime, you know, it doesn't matter how many task force you've got on police force uh, or government agencies, and this is what they do for a living. You know, people are always concerned, well, how do we ever stay atop or abreast of the, the hackers, the true hackers? So for people who are looking to endeavor upon becoming more savvy in the technology space, uh, whether you're talking about cryptocurrency or other elements and facets of what you do, you know, what do you say to people who, who bring those concerns forward to you and say, like, how is my stuff going to be protected and how can you truly ensure that? Well, for, first of all, I don't I don't know that you can, you know, I'll, I'll let Chris answer the technical side of, of why we believe that that blockchain and distributed ledgers uh, and consensus algorithms are more secure <laughs> than than traditional methods. And, and that's uh, that's something I'll let Chris, uh, d- you know, chime in on here. But, you know, the reality is, is that data security, identity security, um, identity security over IoT, right? We've all got Alexa. We've all got Siri. We've all got, you know, uh, OK Google, right? So, um, you know, being able to to make sure that identity security is happening and being able to secure these vast networks of information is is really, really paramount to us being able to move forward. And that's where a lot of these trustless systems and, and these things that Chris was talking about come into play. What, what do you think, Chris? Uh, well, there's a good quote by Helen Keller that starts out with security is mostly a superstition. Hmm. And I think that kind of gets at the heart of it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. most, most, most anti-hacking, most security stuff, mostly everything you do is, is about, uh, you know, staying one step ahead, not necessarily saying, can you prove that this is secure forever? No, I can't because someone's going to come along and see something that nobody else has seen and they're going to use it as a whole and they're going to get in. That doesn't mean 100% that you're always going to get hacked. No, of course not. But but believing that you can create the most secure thing and that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you is going to lead you down a path that you're not going to like. True. The way to, the way to do it correctly is to constantly be looking for those threats, right? Be building the most secure system you have you can. Be one step ahead of where everybody else is in as far as security goes. And using these systems, using the most secure system that you can create, using the best and most stable system you can for the operating world that you live in. But at the same time, realize that you, you need to find ways to protect the whole of what you're doing, right? So maybe, you know, there's, there's an issue with these centralized databases of today where, you know, Target gets hacked. And when Target gets hacked, 
everybody's information is gone because all of that information is in a central place. Well, if that information is distributed, does that help? I believe the answer is yes. And from what I've seen, yes, right? Because if you can only access 10% of that information, well, you still got hacked, but you only lost 10%. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's not great, right? I mean, I, I would love for it to be 0% to tell you that you know, these systems are foolproof and you're never going to get hacked. But that's not the reality we live in. No matter what, what line of work you're in, there's, there's risk. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's risk in everything we do. So it's more about, you know, how are these more secure? Why are they more secure than what we're currently doing? And how can we continue to make them more secure and stay ahead of the nefarious agents out there who are looking for a way to hack your system? And we've seen with a lot of these blockchain systems, not even, not even these blockchain systems necessarily, but, you know, people running smart contracts on Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera, who they get hacked. Well, what happens there? Is the blockchain getting hacked? No, a lot of times, a lot of times it's just people's websites getting hacked. So you're on some, you know, terrible $10 a month hosting and you don't actually have SSL installed and someone goes in and changes the wallet address that you're giving to everybody for your ICO and changes it to their own wallet. Well, you just got hacked and I'm, I'm using air quotes at the moment. Mm-hmm. You just got hacked, right? You just lost potentially millions of dollars. People have lost millions of dollars doing these things. And it had nothing to do with the security of the back end of this project that you were building. And it had everything to do with you using the wrong technology um, when you decided how to build your website. You know, it's, okay. it's, it's the weakest link kind of more mm-hmm. than anything else. Where is your weakest link? Why is it weakest link? And what can you do to fix it? Um, okay. So I'm, again, that's a bit broad of an answer, but yeah, just... no, no, but that answers. I appreciate that. And unfortunately, this time always goes too quickly for my liking, which is why I'm really glad that we've got you scheduled coming back in the latter part of this year, Joseph. So I want to thank you again for the gift of your time and who knows where you're going to be and what other further updates and announcements you're going to be able to share with myself and the listening audience and the podcast subscribers come then. So I just want to thank you both so very much for the gift of your time. I just want to very quickly before I say goodbye to everybody else and and again thanking you both for the gift of your time and your insights and your wisdom uh where can people quickly reach you yeah lannisterdevelopment.com lannisterholdings.com you can google our stock nbdr um and check us out on the stock market as well i'm on twitter at lannister ceo and we're on twitter as at lannister dev as well Okay, well, I want to thank you both so very much. I certainly got a lot out of this, as I know the listeners will, and eventually the podcast subscribers too, uh, once this is uploaded and calibrated on, again, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, the list goes on for all the various platforms. So you guys are doing incredible stuff. I want to thank you very much on behalf of everybody, including uh, the network here. I want to thank the loyal listeners once again for the gift of your time. As you know, we go live here every Friday on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald at 8 a.m. Pacific, which converts to 10 Central, which converts to 11 Eastern with an awesome guest showcased of each week. And uh, I want to remind everybody again that uh, eventually you can find the podcast link of today's interview and every weekly interview also on my host page, Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald over on the C-Suite Radio Network. And I want to thank my corporate sponsors again, Halt and Honda Forever and AHA That. So until next week, I'm here to uplift you to fear less and to live more. Wishing you a fantastic and safe, wonderful weekend. Thanks again be back here again next friday take care and all my best bye-bye you've been listening to living fearlessly with your host lisa mcdonald 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.